listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system, which supports our independent community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. Pharmacists are becoming so much more accessed in the bigger holistics, the the bigger economy, the the macro economy of our healthcare system. People like um, Buddy Carter, who is congressman of Georgia's first district, um, people like uh, Shane Reeves, who's a pharmacist in the state of Tennessee, and we were fortunate enough to get uh, Shane on the show right as he was in his um, political uh, thrust to to get his name out there and to get into campaigning. And it was before he was in, even elected by the the great people of of the state of Tennessee for his position, and he has been involved in pharmacy for a very long time, now running an organization called 12 Stone Health Partners. Shane, I am so proud to have you back on the show and um, welcome as a state senator of the great state of, of Tennessee. Todd, it's great to be back with you again and be back with your audience. And I think the word thrust, <laughs> when I was on your show in 2018, I was clearly in in the thrust uh, season of my life trying to get elected in for any of your listeners out there that have never run for office before, I can promise you it's a lot more fun to serve than it is to run for office. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's not for uh, sissies. You, to run for office takes a lot of uh, hard knocks. But, yeah, I feel like uh, your show's come a long way since then, and I feel like I've, I've uh, definitely moved forward in the Senate since then and moved in pharmacy as well. So, again, delighted to be back with you. Thank you for coming back. Uh, congratulations on continuing to serve uh, your state and the changes that have been made based on um, the data and the uh, testimony that a pharmacist can give is very different um, than someone who's running, um, you know, an agricultural business or textile or or steel or or anything, and and having your fingers in. Um, in healthcare gives you more context to actually generate and support policies and PBM reform in order for it to make sense and in order for those tax dollars to literally help people be better cared for and, and, and eliminate things that are keeping people from using, for example, their community pharmacies or their long-term care provider who they trust, who they've been with a while and so things have been getting better. I'm seeing, I've been in this since 2004 and I see massive changes uh, on the positive side. However, we still have um, so much um, so much more to do. I know in the start of 2023, there was an amendment in the Tennessee legislation requiring that PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers, reimburse Tennessee pharmacies at least the actual cost of the drug uh, to align with Tennessee Medicaid. 
which was a, um, a a victory. And then, of course, those numbers, as you know, can shift depending on what they call actual cost. But give our listeners a little update of what's happening in the state of Tennessee, because a lot of the wins at the state level are being replicated in other states. Sure. Yeah. Um, one thing you said, I want to make sure to comment on. So if there's anyone out there who's listening um, and you're seriously considering running for office in your state and you are a pharmacist or have a pharmacy, now, great pharmacy background, um, I strongly encourage you to do so. And if you need to be encouraged, call me. <laughs> call me in Tennessee. I'll be happy to talk to you. I, I can't imagine what our state legislature state legislatures are dealing with around the country. If you happen to have a house and a Senate with no pharmacy voice, I mean, you it's our our language, PBMs and Macs and AWPs and ASPs and 340Bs. That's just foreign to most people that are serving in. Um, elected office at a state level, and definitely probably at a federal level as well. So having people that can sit at the table and explain things to their colleagues uh, is is a, is a really, really big deal. So when I when I first when I first got elected, back when you and I started in two, 2018, Todd, I actually had gotten elected in a special election. Uh, and it was the state of Tennessee is only in in session from January through April every year. So I got elected in a special election in March of 2018. So by the time I got to Nashville, got sworn in, met a few senators and found the bathrooms, we were done. We were done with session. So I had to go back. And I spent the summer of 2018 saying, well, if, if I'm going to be a senator, then then I, I better really wrap my wrap my brains around what's what's going on in Tennessee and, and where can I make make a difference. And what I found is, you know, Tennessee is doing a lot of things very, very right. But my goodness, uh, Tennessee has got so much to work on in regards to health care. I mean, our obesity rates, opiate addiction issues, cancer, stroke, just just across the board we had so many, so many issues. So when I went back in 2019, I decided from the very beginning that was going to be my focus. I got put on three committees, but the two that your listeners will care the most about are Senate Health. So it's all things healthcare, hospitals, nursing homes, pharmacists, doctors, dentists, home health, you name it. And, and then also got put on commerce, which is banking and insurance, all things business. So those are the two primary committees that I, I focus my time on. So right out of the gates, I said, that's where I'm going to focus my legislative initiatives in healthcare and in, in business. And I feel like along the way, we, we've really, really introduced some good bills, um, some that I felt were going to have a lot more bigger impact than they than they have along the way. I mean, early on when I first first got started, I interested, introduced some bills that had to do with uh, auditing, what PBMs could do or couldn't do in regards to auditing. Introduced a number of bills that had to do with transparency in 19, kind of rolled into 2020. And 2020, we looked at uh, some, some bills having to do with making sure pharmacists could, could um, they had the flexibility to to rely on their own professional judgment, regardless that PBMs could not require pharmacists to do something against their professional judgment. And then, of course, the whole world shut down in 2020 and 21 due to COVID. So it didn't get quite as much done. But then I went back in 2022 and we passed some bills in regards to white bagging and 340B. And it was in 2000. This past session is when we really went after it hard and we did two things, which I think have been very formative. One is we said we actually want to take our 
Tennessee Department of Commerce and Insurance, which is, you know, the that falls under the Department of Commerce, we want to give that organization to create to create our own PBM enforcement division under that to hold PBMs accountable. So that brand new division has started this year. In Tennessee, we have a, a pharmacist that basically is heading up a division to hold PBMs accountable. That's what they do. He's probably got eight or 10 people working for him. He's somebody you ought to have on your show, to be honest with you. Absolutely. Um, and... As you can only imagine, he's drinking from the fire hose and Caremark and Optum and Express Scripts and all the different groups are quickly, you know, getting to know him, but also pushing back everywhere they can. So that was one big thing we did this year. And the other thing is, like you said, passed a law that just simply said, at the very minimum, can you please at least pay our pharmacist acquisition cost? I mean, I'm not even asking to make money. At least don't pay them under their cost. And we passed that. And as I'm sure... All of your listeners know, you know, anytime you try to pass anything, the PBMs lose their minds and they tell every single employer in the state that your premiums are going to go through the roof because you're now going to have to pay pharmacist acquisition cost. But fortunately, we did get that passed and we specifically got it passed. So it's got some benefits in our rural communities uh, in Tennessee. So you've got these small independents that they just can't survive. You, you don't do enough volume and you just can't survive if you're not getting paid acquisition cost plus a minimum dispensing fee. So we we did put a minimum dispensing fee on the, the rural side. So we got all that done, Todd. But I'll tell you the biggest, uh, we, and this may be your next question where you want to go with this, but it just seems to me, you know, we had the Rutledge case a number of years ago in Arkansas that really kind of put PBM control back in the States and excited about that. But in the state of Tennessee, even though we've passed that, and even though it's my understanding, regardless of the way um, these PBMs look at the impact of ERISA. We we feel like we have been given the authority in the state of Tennessee to to regulate PBMs and regulate cost. They disagree with that, and they say, you know what, you're going to have to sue us. So I, I would I think you're going to see the state of Tennessee and probably other states in joining together, working with the Federal Trade Commission and our Attorney General, all coming together in. Often, this is going to have to be a federal issue. I mean, we can keep doing our part on a state level, but if these PBMs are not going to follow the law because they disagree with the Supreme Court understanding, we're going to have to go back to a higher level and continue to tweak that. Anyway, that's a long, long answer of saying it's just a slog. It's just a continued slog pushing forward. I mean, I routinely will tell my, uh, my staff in Nashville, it's Progress, not perfection, gang. Just progress, not perfection. Let's just keep keep swinging and keep pushing forward. I'm thinking, uh, Shane, of the states, just like Pennsylvania. The center of Pennsylvania is completely rural. It's completely woods and open. And then you have the big city of Philadelphia and the big city of Pittsburgh, um, a little bit of the scattered cities throughout the rest of, of PA. But um, Tennessee... Um, that skinny state that you are, it it has the same issues that many of these other states have that just don't have any kind of health care coverage. You have 70 of your 95 counties are considered rural. That's and right. Lost 15 major hospitals over the last few years that open up these huge pockets of not having enough health care coverage. The only health care providers near enough near enough to these people that live in these 70 counties are their are their pharmacy and how pharmacies are used now especially in these areas uh, for more than just 
getting their 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 medications. They're they're looking to these uh, pharmacies as as holistic providers and uh, in in answering questions that um, probably a physician might have to have to at least follow up with. But that that's the trickle down effect of of bad policy being put in place in the name of a of a big administrative administration uh, an administrative company that's focused on you know uh, a dir fee or pulling back money or lessening the ability for a small pharmacy to take action and then impact the lives of how many people live in those 70 counties that are sure. rural. you know uh to react react to that a little bit you know when anytime i speak to groups in tennessee and we have we have 95 counties total like you said 70 of them are rural when i speak to groups i'll routinely talk about how bad tennessee's health scores are like i mentioned to you life expectancy cancer diabetes obesity you know you, you name it we're, we're we're in the bottom bottom of the entire country uh, in regards to our health care and i'll ask people say why why do you think why do you think that is and almost without question everybody in the rooms go up and say well it's it's lifestyle you know, it's all the fried chicken and beer and tobacco we've got in Tennessee. The truth is, the when you really dig into it in Tennessee, that only impacts about 30%. Diet uh, and nutrition and lifestyle and tobacco and opiate problems, that's really only about 30% of our health care problem in the state of Tennessee. 20% of our issues has to do with access to care. People just do not have access to primary care, long-term care, acute care across the state. 10% of it, and especially some parts of way up in East Tennessee, are still environmental. We have air issues and water issues. But 40% of our problem in Tennessee that really drives our healthcare-related issues are still socioeconomic. Well, you, know, you find that it all fits together. If you move into pockets of Tennessee where you've got education problems, you're also going to have poverty problems, you're going to have jobs, you're going to have healthcare, and it all fits together. So you have a great county or great area that's got a good education system and good jobs are moving in. But if you don't have access to good health care, it pulls the other ones down. So it really all fits together. You have to have it all. So if you don't have access to pharmacies or doctors or hospitals in your in your area, everything collapses. Uh, it really does. You mentioned the hospitals closing in the state of Tennessee, which I get asked about real often. But I'll tell you, when I, again, when I speak to groups, specifically in these rural communities, and I'll say, how many people in this room have been to your local rural hospital in the last two years? Nobody. Nobody goes to rural hospitals, at least not unless it's an emergency. I mean, if somebody falls off their tractor and breaks their neck or you've got grandma who had a heart attack, well, you might go to the local ER to try to get some support. But most people just try to get stabilized and then move to the larger regional areas. So because of that, you know, I'm 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 believing more and more and more that we need to let our suburban areas and our urban areas really be our center of cares, care for our for our really truly acute needs. But in all of our primary care, all of our rural communities, we need to have great primary care, and pharmacists are a huge part of that. So if we lose them all because they can't stay in business because of PBMs, you just the entire state of Tennessee is just going to lose another great resource to try to try to help its citizens that live in some little small community where there's 6,000 people. I represent Moore County, Todd. Moore County, Tennessee is Lynchburg, Tennessee. It's where Jack Daniels is made. There's only 6,000 people that live in that whole entire town, and about 5,000 of them either work for Jack Daniels or their families connected with it. There is no hospital. 
There is no pharmacist. There is no doctor. There's nothing there. Absolutely nothing. And uh, it's unfortunate. There used to be a pharmacist. We just couldn't make a living. So we we do got to take care of ensuring those pharmacists and those small providers are able to survive in rural America. Uh, just um, it's the only resource they've got. Let's shift gears for a second and give us an update on 12 Stones' mission and how you've grown over the years to really focus on infusion and some of the chronic conditions that you're you're helping to manage. Yeah, I still like being a pharmacist a lot better than I do being a politician, Todd. Uh, and I'm being a business person, I like the private sector a whole lot more than the public sector. I mean, I, I think I mentioned too before we started the show, I, I enjoy the people and I enjoy the service and I like the legislation, but I wouldn't give you a, a nickel for the politics and the, the craziness nowadays on social media and, and uh, just the world we're in and the lack of civility and politics. But um, 12 Stone has been a lot of fun since 2000. We formed the company in 2016 and it started really kind of hitting its stride in 2018. And what we decided we wanted to do with this new company was be a closed shop pharmacy that just focused on all things pharma, oral meds, IV meds, specialty meds, compounded meds, anything pharma you could think of, and focus on patients with chronic, complex, and rare diseases. So it's multiple sclerosis and cystic fibrosis and Crohn's and Lou Gehrig's and rheumatoid arthritis and cancer. It's the people that have just got very chronic conditions that they really need a pharmacy. They're not taking one medication. They may have 10 oral meds and an IV med and a specialty med, et cetera. So that was really how we we focused the company in 2017, 2018, and started growing it. But what we found that we were missing uh, in our business by the time we got in 2018 was a place for patients who couldn't get an IV in the home that wanted to come to a, a center and get it. And they didn't want to drive to downtown Nashville or downtown Atlanta and fight all the traffic. So we said, well, why don't we open up just a little freestanding infusion center in my little hometown of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and let's put a handful of chairs, nice massage chairs and private rooms and televisions on the walls, and let's just provide a good patient experience. And that was in the summer of 2018, and it quickly, quickly, quickly took off. Patients loved it. So we expanded that. We opened up one in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We opened up one in Knoxville, Tennessee. We opened up one in Mount Juliet, Tennessee over the next few years. And then COVID hit. And through COVID, we said, well, let's open up one in Georgia, and we continue to expand. And so by the time we got to 2022, we had seven locations this time last year, last summer. And we could see that these infusion centers really were adding huge value to patients. Payers liked it because they didn't want to pay for people in, in the hospitals or physicians' offices. So I went out, and I've, I've recently got a private equity group behind me called the Heritage Group in Nashville. And they said... Let's go build 20 of these as quick as we can. So over the last year, I say 20, we built up to 20. Over the last year, we have built 14 infusion centers, brother. I mean, I've just, everybody's hair is on fire here at 12 Stone. So I now have seven locations in Tennessee, six in Georgia, five in Virginia, and two in Kentucky today, these infusion centers. And they really are serving as kind of the front porch of 12 Stone when that patient comes in to get their infusion that's got Crohn's disease you know, for their IVs or rheumatoid arthritis, they can also at the same time, if they want me to provide them their oral meds or specialty meds or something else, I can do that. But it's been a wild ride. The company has grown to multiple states. We've got 350 employees. Uh, been a lot of fun. 
a lot of fun. You know, I've got all the same headaches everybody else has got. I'm still dealing with regulations and taxes and margins and PBMs uh, and, and litigation, everything else that people deal with in the pharmacy world out there. But uh, it's been a fun few years of growth for sure. It keeps the pencil sharp, though, that when you do go back to the state Senate and you are building policy, that you're able to see the literal outcomes of different things that are happening. And now you have reflection on other states um, so that you can bring that back home and and, and in reverse help other states. Um, I wish there was a group of state senators that could get together once in a while on just, you know, healthcare policy and right. fly you all to the Florida Keys or something like that. And <laughs> do, do a piece. You know, I had a I had a patient last month. It's a mom down in Chattanooga. She's got two sons that got hemophilia, brittle, brittle uh, hemophilia children. And um they've been getting their medicines at a, my Chattanooga infusion center. But they were having to get their meds, white bags, shipped in through Caremark. And we've been trying and trying and trying in Tennessee to try to work around that where we could provide the medication to them, not have to white bag through Caremark. But this one specific plan, they were requiring it. These two kids showed up with their mom, and their meds never did. And Caremark had some issues, didn't make it. She came back a couple of days later. The meds still hadn't made it. And uh, the kids ended up having to be hospitalized for a week and a half or so in the Chattanooga area uh, because they didn't have the medication to keep them to get their blood factor. Uh, so it's just a perfect example of the PBMs, even and they would claim it's well-intended about cost savings. What it's really doing is impacting the lives of patients and and the and pharmacists who are just trying to do a job. Uh, and, and make a living and take care of people. So it's so then when I go, so I'm going back to Nashville this next time. You better believe I'm going to tell that story. Absolutely. Talk about it and say, listen. And you know the crazy thing, Todd. I mean, because because of my Senate position, I mean, these all the PBM lobbyists. I mean, they're in my office all the time. And uh, you know, on a personal note, I like them. We're friends. But on a professional note, we are fierce competitors. <laughs> I mean, fierce. They've got a job to do, and I've got a job to do. And I've had real forthright conversations with some of them, and I'm like, why in the world don't you just work with us? Yeah. I mean, I want you to make money. I know you're a Fortune 10, Fortune 20 company, but why don't you just work with Tennessee pharmacists? Why don't you be the first state in the country that says, you know, we're actually going to find a way to work with our pharmacist, and we're going to let them make a living. We're going to take care of patients and let's really elevate the care. But unfortunately, it's like so many things in politics, it comes down to turf and money. And uh, they're just not at a point, they're not at a breaking point yet. That they're willing to bend, bend over to the point and say, okay, you're right. Let's come to the table. So what are you working on right now within the Senate that we could reflect on from a national perspective? Because even... You know, we were talking before um, about other senators that are at the federal level that are doing things that are going to impact the entire country. But there must be some next steps that you're taking in the state of Tennessee that um, that is great reflection for um, for other states listening. Well, two two things. One is one I've already mentioned, which is I don't know how the states are structured. We have the Tennessee Department of Commerce and Insurance, and they're the ones that oversee. PBMs. And so we created our own task force, PBM enforcement task force. It's led by a pharmacist. And so it's very, very early. Uh, as it just started literally this year. 
And every pharmacist in the state of Tennessee, if they adjudicate a claim and they get paid below cost, they can turn it over to this task force and this task force group can dig into it. And if they can show that the PBM is not following the law, the PBM gets fined, actually get fined for doing it. So it's it's early. Again, the, 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 the department got formed this year, really got on its feet this summer. And you can only imagine they're getting thousands of claims from around the state from pharmacists. So to me, that's one thing that, you know, having back on your show in a couple of years, and I'll tell you how effective it's been. But I'm, I'm excited about that. And I would love to see every state have a grassroots level PBM czar, for lack of a better word, that's really going to hold that group accountable. So I think primarily this next session is I'm going to continue to put teeth into that legislation. And I want to continue to put resources behind that department so they've got enough people to really do the job. So if Caremark wants to pay somebody for their insulin prescription $100 below their cost and they say too bad, and if that pharmacist can prove it, then fine, Caremark's going to pay a $1,000 fine. So if you can start hitting them like that, that'll make a difference. The other big thing that's going to happen in, in Tennessee, probably this next session is going to have more to do with scope of practice. And I know we're not talking scope of practice today, really, but the Tennessee Pharmacists Association and our executive director, Anthony Pudlow, has his own legislative committee, and, and we're looking at priorities. And I know one of the big things that they're interested in is looking at scope of practice issues. And they plan on working at a federal level to try to address some of these other larger issues like you and I have talked about. Um, I just wish so badly we could get a some federal, some federal laws passed. The Federal Trade Commission could be involved with it to really hold these PBMs accountable. It would help everybody out. So state to state, everybody kind of has an evil play, even playing ground. Anyway, I know I'm kind of rambling, but that's my focus this next session will be putting teeth in the existing PBM department and looking at some scope of practice issues for our pharmacists in the state. And, and I don't know a whole lot of details at this point, but that's kind of where I'm going. I'd like to give a shout out to Dr. Anthony Pudelo, um, our Tennessee uh, Pharmacist Association Executive Director. And the passion in that man is is infectious in his work in Iowa. And then how you know, he's joined um tennessee um he's he's just he's the real deal so you're you you guys are blessed to have him um in your uh, tennessee pharmacist association we certainly are we certainly are thrilled to have him and he's doing a good job he's on fire for membership he's on fire for advocacy he's on fire to take care of tennessee pharmacists wherever wherever they might be practicing so i i look forward to continue to work with him and and um help him be successful i told him i said you know there are actually, believe it or not, there are three pharmacists in the Tennessee Senate today, hmm. which is a big deal for 33 of us, and three of us are pharmacists. The lieutenant governor of the state of Tennessee, his name is Randy McNally, and he is a pharmacist. Randy's about 80, and he's a great man. The speaker pro tem in the state is named Farrell Hale. He's a pharmacist, but he's also kind of in his late 70s, and I love both those men. I hope they serve for another decade, but they probably won't. So I keep telling Anthony, listen, right now we've got three pharmacists in the Senate. We've got a very pro-pharmacist in the House. If we're going to pass laws, we need to pass them right now. Because I may be all by myself down there a number of years from now, and it just gets harder and harder to get things done. But Anthony's a he's a home run. Glad to work with him. Yes. Well, we have to have you back sooner than than what uh the the last time that you came and get an update from you and you always bring um, some really interesting stories to light, as well as how to share these 
wins that Tennessee are experiencing in other states and how we're pushing through PBM reform. But Senator Shane Reeves, it's always good to talk with you. I remember you and your team um, back in the long-term care uh, pharmacy day. It's like if you stick around in pharmacy, you end up knowing a little bit of everybody. You do. Todd, and I'll I'll say this one more time. How much I appreciate you, appreciate what you do for the profession, and congratulations on your success and for your audience continuing to grow. And I do hope your audience, if you're out there, I just can't say it enough. We need pharmacists serving in public office. Exactly. It's a complicated profession. And if we're not at the table, and I know it's a sacrifice, sacrifice for me, but if you're not at the table having these negotiations, then you're going to have other people making decisions on how you practice. So if you want to run for office and you want to talk about it, call me. And you can go to reeves4tn.com. That's reeves4tntennessee.com. Got it. Great website. And there's all your connections there. And yep. uh, Shane, we, we love having you on the shows and we'll have to have you back. And I'm going to, now I have, to, I, now I'm remi- reminding myself to reach out to Anthony because I want him on the show today. You absolutely need to. All right. Appreciate you, Todd. Thanks, man. Take care. PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.